Hey, it's Todd coming to you from the Sports and Spiritual Library here in my apartment in Verona, Wisconsin. And uh, my friends had comfort keepers. They have in-home care elevates human spirit. Senior care, in-home care, respite care, empathetic caregivers are specially trained to provide uplifting care, transportation, and support driving to doctor appointments, grocery shopping, companionship, and personal care. Seniors thrive safely. CKMassin.com, phone number 608-218-4861-5950, Seminole Center Court, and Suite 200, Madison, Wisconsin, 53711. Thank you. Hey, it's Todd. Coming to you from the Sports and Spirituality Health <clears throat> Library in my apartment in Rorona, Wisconsin. And I'm good to read from, this is from page 193 of the big book. Gratitude in action, and the story of Dave B., one of the founders of AA in Canada in 1944. The AA Big Book is copyright date. The fourth edition would be 2001. So what we have is a... Um, Excellent big book. It's been penned by, it was uh, written from the first 100 members of Alcoholics Anonymous in 1939. And you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of similarities in the back of stories with yourself. Uh, look for similarities in the stories, but also look for similarities in the text you're going to hear. The text are the first 164 pages. And what you're going to have is uh, you absolutely do not look for the differences. Look for the similarities. It's pretty easy to uh, pretty easy to get going on this here short right now. And uh, like I said, Steve B., one of the founders of AA in Canada, 1944. I believe it would be, I believe it would be good to tell the story of my life. Doing so will give me the opportunity to remember that I must be grateful to God and to those members of Alcoholics Anonymous who knew AA before me. Telling my story reminds me that I could go back to where I was if I forget the wonderful things that have been given to me. Or forget that God is the guide who keeps me on this path. June 1924, I was 16 years old and had just graduated from high school in Sherbrooke, Quebec. Some of my friends suggested that we go for a beer. I had never had a beer or any other form of alcohol. I don't know why, since we always had alcohol at home. I should add that no one in my family was ever considered an alcoholic. Well, I was afraid my friends wouldn't like me if I didn't do as they did. I know firsthand that mysterious state of people who appear to be sure of themselves that are actually eaten alive with fear inside. I had a rather strong inferiority complex. I believe I lacked what my father used to call character. So on that one nice summer day in an old, an old MN, in an, I'm sorry, an old N in Sherbrooke, I didn't find the courage to say no. I became an active alcoholic from that first day when alcohol produced a very special effect in me. I was transformed. Alcohol suddenly made me into what I had always wanted to be. Alcohol became my everyday companion. At first, I considered it a friend. Later, it became a heavy load I, could, I couldn't get rid of. It turned out to be much more powerful than I was, even if. 
For many years, I could stay sober for short periods. I kept telling myself that one way or another, I would get rid of alcohol. I was convinced that I would find a way to stop drinking. I didn't I didn't want to acknowledge that alcohol had become so important in my life. Indeed, alcohol was giving me something I didn't want to lose. 1934, a series of mishaps occurred because of my drinking. I had to come back from Western Canada because the bank I worked for lost confidence in me. An elevator accident cost me all the toes of the one foot and a skull fracture. I was in the hospital for months. My excessive drinking also caused me a brain hemorrhage, which completely paralyzed one side of my body. I probably did my first step the way I probably did my first step the day I came by ambulance to Western Hospital. A night shift nurse asked me, Mr. B, why do you drink so much? You have a wonderful wife, a bright little boy. You have no reason to drink like that. Why do you? Being honest, for the first time, I said, I don't know, nurse. I really don't know. That was many years before I learned about the fellowship. You might think I'd tell myself, if alcohol causes me causes me much harm, I will stop drinking. But I found contentless, I found countless reasons to to prove to myself that alcohol had nothing to do with misfortunes. I told myself it was because of fate. Because everyone was against me. Because things weren't going well. I sometimes thought that God did not exist. I thought, if this loving God exists, as they say, he would not treat me this way. God would not treat me like this. I felt sorry for myself a lot in those days. My family and employees were concerned about my drinking. But I had become a rather arrogant but I had become rather arrogant. I bought a 1931 Ford with an inheritance from my grandmother and my wife, and I made a trip to Cape Cod. On the way back, we stopped at my uncle's place in New Hampshire. This uncle had taken me under his wing at the time of my mother's death, and he worried about me. Now he said to me, Dave, if you stop drinking for a full year, I'll give you the Ford Roadster I just bought. I love that car. So I immediately promised I would I wouldn't drink for a whole year. And I meant it. Yet I was drinking again before we reached the Canadian border. I was powerless over alcohol. I was learning that I could do nothing to fight it off, even while I was denying the fact Easter weekend. 1944, I found myself in a jail cell in Montreal. By now, by now I was drinking to escape the horrible thoughts that I had whenever I was sober enough to become aware of my situation. I was drinking to avoid seeing what I had become. The job I'd had for 20 years and the new car were long gone. I had undergone three stays in a psychiatric hospital. God knows I didn't want to drink. Yet, to my great despair, I always returned to the infernal merry-go-round. I wondered how this misery would, would end. I was full of fear. Afraid to tell others what, what I felt lest they would think I was insane. Terribly lonely, full of self-pity, and terrified. Most of all, I was in a deep depression. And I recall the book given to me by my sister Jean about drunks, as desperate as I was, who had found a way to stop drinking. According to this book, these drunks had found a way to live like other human beings to get up in the morning, go to work, return home, and then wait in the evening. 
This book was by Alcoholics Anonymous. I decided to get in touch with them. I had much difficulty in, re- in reaching AA in New York as AA wasn't as well known then. I finally spoke to a woman, Bobby, who said words I hoped I never forget. I am an alcoholic. We have recovered. If you want, we'll help you. She told me about herself, added that many other drunks had used this method to stop drinking. What impressed me most in this conversation was the fact that these people, 500 miles away, cared enough to try to help me. Here I was feeling so sorry for myself, convinced that no one cared whether I was dead or alive. I was very surprised when I got a copy of the big book in the mail the following day. After each day after that for nearly a year, I got a letter for a note. Something from Bobby or from Bill or not one of the other members of the central office in New York. In October 1944, Bobby wrote, You sound very sincere and from now on we will be counting on you to perpetuate the fellowship of AA where you are. You will find enclosed some queries, queries about alcoholics. We think you are now ready to take on this responsibility. She had enclosed some 400 letters that I answered in the course of the following days or the following weeks. Soon I began to get answers back and my new enthusiasm and having found an answer to my problem, I told Dory, my wife, you can quit your job now, I will take care of you. From now on, you will take the place you deserve in this family. However, she knew better. She said, no, Dave, I will keep my job for a year while you go save the drunks. That is exactly what I set out to do. As I look back on it now, I did everything wrong, but at least I was thinking of somebody else instead of myself. I had begun to get a little bit of my something I am very full of now, and that is gratitude. I was becoming increasingly grateful to the people in New York and to the God they referred to, but whom I found difficult to reach. Yet I realized I was, had to seek the higher power I was told about. I was all alone in Quebec at the time. Toronto Group had been in operation since the previous fall, and there was a member in Windsor who attended meetings across the river in Detroit. That was AA in its entirety in this country. One day, I got a letter from a man in Halifax who wrote, One of my friends, a drunk, works in Montreal, but he is currently in Chicago, where he went on to a major bench. When he returns to Montreal, I'd like you to talk to him. I met this man at his house. His wife was cooking dinner, their young daughter at her side. The man was wearing a velvet jacket and sitting comfortably in his parlor. I hadn't met many people from from high society. I immediately thought, what's going on here? This man isn't an alcoholic. Jack was a down-to-earth per- was- Jack was a down-to-earth person. He was used to discussions about psychi- psychiatry and the concept of a higher power and didn't appeal to him very much. But from our meeting, AA was born here in Quebec. The fellowship started to grow, more particularly following the publicity we got in the, in the Gazette in the spring of 1945. I will never forget the day Mary came to my life. Mary came to see me. She was the first woman to join our fellowship here. She was very shy and reserved, very low key. She had heard of the fellowship through through the Gazette. For the first year, all the meetings were held in my in my home. There were people all over the house. The wives of members used to come with their husbands. Though we didn't allow them in our closed meeting, they used to sit on a bed or in the kitchen where they would make coffee and snacks. 
I believe they were wondering what would happen to us. Yes, they were as happy as we were. The first two French Canadians to learn about AA did so in the basement of my house. All French-speaking meetings in existence today were born out of early meetings. At the end of my first year of sobriety, my wife agreed to leave her job after I found some work. I thought that would be easy. All I had to do was go see an employer. I'd be able to support my wife in normal fashion. However, I looked for work for many months. We didn't have much money. I was spending the little we had going from one place to another, answering ads and meeting people. I was getting more and more discouraged. One day a member said, Dave, why don't you apply for the aircraft factory? I know a fellow there who could help you. So that was where, that was where I got my first job. There really is a higher power looking after us. One of my first fundamental things I have learned is to pass on our message to other alcoholics. That means I must think more about others than about myself. Most important thing is to practice these principles in all my affairs. In my opinion, that is what Alcoholics Anonymous is all about. I never forgot a passage I first read in the, com in the copy of the big book that Bobby sent me. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your fault to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. It's very simple, though not always easy, but it can be done. I know the Fellowship of AA doesn't offer many guarantees, but I, I also know that in the future I do not have to drink. I want to keep this life of peace, serenity, and tranquility that I have found. Today, I have found again the home I left and the women and the woman I married when she was still so young. We have two more young children. They think their dad is an important man. I have all these wonderful things, people who mean more to me than anything in the world. I shall keep all that. And I won't have to drink. If I remember one simple thing is to keep my hand in the hand of God. So, you know, one of the main things for me that I, I'm amazed about the program is the, uh, how we let go of the nonsense out of our life. And I'm talking about the resentments and anger, jealousy, Pride, uh, gluttony, all the seven deadlies. And uh, how we become so much easier to get along with, and how much more we respect people, and how much more we uh, drop the notion out of our mind that, you know, we're better than this guy, or we're better than that guy, or, you know, so and so is better than me. We stop comparing to each other and we just we work on ourselves and work hard on ourselves and uh, you know we we carry on with a loving attitude towards ourselves too you know we realize that God loves us and uh, you know and that people are fine people are you know as long as we don't you know, as long as we don't step on their toes we're usually good um you know, and that's the thing is, you know, it says if you step on, you know, it, people react, retaliate when they step on their toes. And uh, it's happened to me a lot. I know that much. And then I get an attitude towards them. And I get an attitude about them. And, and that's the way it goes. You know, little know, the little little idea is that I, uh, I didn't even know them to begin with. So how can I know them, you know? It's the same thing with, uh, it's the same thing that goes on in the program a lot. 
you know, we, we know each other. And it's great because we know each other. We get to know each other. We know each other's, uh, we, you know, where we're at because we're sharing with each other. We're sharing in the meeting. But if you don't go to meetings, you don't learn that stuff. You don't know how to get along with people. You struggle. And, um, you know, you find yourself at a uh, little bump in the road that you can't get over. It seems to me that, you know, when we start working with those sponsors and stuff like that, then we're able to, uh, like God, take control of our lives. And we don't have to take control of the, uh, we don't have to take control of the life that we can let that, we can let God take care of that. You know, we can just lay back and listen for, you know, and and not be so excited and so upset and so intolerant of people. Um, but yeah, that, this, that's a good story. I like that because I'm from, uh, I'm from Wisconsin, but I'm also French. So, you know, I, I realized today is that Canada, Canada is pretty big. And for him to just, to start that out of my show, I just did, I find that hard to believe. I find that's really cool. You know, so, you know, the history of AA is a, is a wonderful thing, and if you can get into reading it, that would be great, because all it's going to do is help you out. It's going to help you a lot. Because once you can get that, and then you can start to get a, uh, you can start to get a full, uh, you, can a, you can get a full gratitude, acceptance, you know, all that stuff. Gratefulness. Anyways, I'm going to go on to As Bill Sees It. Copyright is 1967. And it's, uh, it's all the great point of March 1962. It's called the, A Full and Thankful Heart. One exercise that I practice is to try for a full inventory of my blessings. And then for a right, ex- then for a right acceptance of the many gifts that are mine, both temporal and spiritual. Here I try to achieve a state of joyful gratitude. When such a brand of gratitude is repeatedly affirmed and pondered, it can finally displace the natural tendency to con- congratulate myself on whatever, on whatever progress I may have been enabled to make in some areas of life. I try hard to hold fast to the grant, to the truth that a full and thankful heart cannot certain, cannot entertain great conceits. When brimming with gratitude, one's heartbeat must surely result in outgrowing or in outgoing love. The finest emotion that we can ever know Well, it's so important. It's so important to be, uh, to have gratitude, especially in recovery, because I know for me, when I don't have gratitude, I get into a piss poor mood. And it seems like whenever anything goes wrong, I'm upset. When something goes, something doesn't go right, I get all upset, huffy puffy, and, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, that impacts my sobriety. You know, and it says in here too is that one exercise that I practice is try, is to try for a full inventory of my blessings. Then for a right acceptance of the many gifts that are mine, both temporal and spiritual. Well. I have to take a full inventory of my blessings, and I don't do it. And I think that's that's beautiful, you know. And and it's called the gratitude list, is what people call it. I don't, I do not do it enough. I mean, I've done it before, but I don't do it enough, obviously. And uh, 
And then I have to have an acceptance of the many gifts that are mine. You know, both temporal and spiritual. Well, here I try to achieve a state of joyful gratitude. I have to have joy. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, usually, uh, usually when I don't have joy, I enjoy my higher power and give him joy, then I'm in trouble. You know, walking around on the face of the earth in a bad mood and a bad personality and and uh, I'm just looking for trouble. And when I'm doing that, I am definitely without my higher power. He's, he's there with me, but he's just waiting for me to wake up. And, you know, and, and it goes on to say when such a brand of gratitude is repeatedly affirmed and pondered, it can finally displace the natural tendency to congratulate myself on whatever progress I may have been enabled to make in some areas of living. Such a brand of gratitude is repeatedly affirmed and pondered. It can finally displace the natural tendency to congratulate myself on whatever progress I may have been unable may have been unable to make in some areas of living. It's pretty amazing that. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm, e- I'm an egomaniac within 40 complex. There's no doubt about that. I should have known that from, i pretty much known that from day one. You know, and, and uh, if, if things are going good, you know, I, I cannot get enough of myself. I cannot get enough of my ego. You know, but if things are going bad, every, I'm inferior to everybody. You know, people have their upper hand on me, and I'm just going to let them take a hold of me, and and I'm going to whine and complain that it wasn't my fault, and I don't need to do that today. I'm grateful for that. You know, because it's just, it's living, it's living life on life terms, but it's looking for the negative life in life on life terms. And it's pretty easy to find it when I'm in one of these these conditions. Muda. Being so screwed up with my mood. You know, because one of the things I come across is the fact I do not work hard enough when I'm in these moods. You know, and that's, when I'm in those moods, I need to work harder. I need to work harder getting getting out of those moves and trying, by finding another alcoholic to work with, by going to a meeting, by getting on the phone and talking to people, by, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It is. It's all about, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's so much more difficult for me to work with somebody when I'm, I'm not feeling particularly fond of myself or particularly, particularly, uh, in a, in a, a, you know, in a mood of, you know, no gratitude. You know, it's everybody else's fault. Why do I got to go work with that guy? Why, why isn't that guy better? Why isn't that guy doing better? Why? You know, and I have a tendency to do that. And like I said before, I've been around the program for, well, like I say, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm 54 now. I came in at 27. I did the program at 27. Within 27 years, I've been going around in a, uh, you know, and, and thinking of that. Everything was, you know, when I'm in the bad mood, it's usually because other people are doing me wrong and the weather's not right. Yeah, that sounds kind of foolish, but it's the truth. And whenever I'm in a I'm in a particular um, 
I'm particularly walking right with the uh, with the power of the God, with the power of God or my higher power, and uh, things come right down the pipe at me that I can just deal with. It's not a big deal, you know. But it's when I get my it's when I get my little uh, dairy dairy air up in the air and cannot handle life because it's not it's not done with Todd's uh it's not done with Todd's affirmation then that doesn't make any sense but you know it's like I need to that's what that's why it's so important for me to be sober today because when I'm sober I can make things make things better on my side and and, uh takes the uh, turbulence out of uh you know, a stormy, a stormy life, but can just, it smooths out. I don't have to sit there and be a, uh, I don't have to sit there and be a jackass to everybody, you know? Because I'm in a bad mood. I can, I can work out of it. I have, I can start my day all over again. And I don't have to be like that. So, you know, and that's what this is. So I'm great, so grateful for the day that, you know, I have a, I do have a full and thankful heart. Well, it's not 24-7. That's what I need to work on. I try hard to hold fast to the truth that a full and thankful heart cannot entertain great conceits. When brimming with gratitude, one's heartfelt most sh- must surely result in outgoing love, the finest emotion that we can never, ever know. Just say the finally, the finest emotion that we can ever know. <laughs> so that's about uh, the grapevine in March 1962. Um, you know what? I just really enjoy this. I enjoy this particular reading because you know it, it shows it shows my uh, it shows my temperature where I'm burning and what. Where um where my heart is, you know, if, and uh, one's heartbeat surely results in outgoing love. It's better to understand than to be understood. Better to love than be loved. So much easier for me to give love out than to try to collect it. And uh, you know, it says in it says the last uh, phrase is the finest emotion that we can ever know is love. And uh, you know, and and it's so important to know love because. It is the finest emotion we could ever know. It's called respect. And as for me, you know, there's there's love when I respect somebody else's what they're doing or what they're what you know, skin color, way they talk, dialect, whatever, it doesn't matter, but I just have to have love for them, for the human for the human. And uh I'm grateful for that today. That Anyways, what I'm going to say is that if nobody else has told you that they love you today, I do, and I say that with the power of love. Thanks. It's Todd coming to you from the Sports and Spiritual Library here in my apartment in Verona, Wisconsin. And what's going on is uh, I'm going to read a little bit of As Bill Sees It. It's the compilation of AA's co-founder, Bill Wilson. And he is a, uh, his book is from 1967. So it's got one year, it's got one year on me because I was born in 1968, so. Anyways, um, I'm going to read The Only Requirement, page 186. And I'm going to go into page 187 too, so. And that would be the uh, talk or action. That's a good word for me tonight, talk or action. (laughs) 
All right. In tradition three, AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you are an AA member if you say so. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. No matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes, we don't want to keep you out. We just want to be sure that you get the same chance for sobriety that we've had. Yeah, this is a, uh, Tradition 3 is a, is a tradition that we often talk about at the, uh, at the meetings. And, you know, the thing is, too, it's, it's probably one of the most talked about traditions, I would think, because, you know, it's, You know, if if you do if you do drink and uh, you go to a meeting, they'll talk about tradition three. Um, well, I would say, you know, if you've been drinking, go to a meeting. If you need to go, go. You got tradition three to back you up. You know, it's it's the only it's the only tradition that. Uh, yeah, I know they go to a 24-hour group online, too, and and what they do online is they ask you to stay but not share. And it makes sense to me, and I'm happy about that because, you know, it, one of the things that kind of takes away is the, because uh, I've heard some people share. <laughs> I've heard some people try to share on there about stuff and, uh, you know, and they don't make any sense. Let's just put it that way. It's, so they're better off just listening. So, yeah, Tradition 3 is the only requirement for AA membership is a desire, desire to stop drinking. And, uh, yeah, if you have the desire to stop drinking, you're in. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's a great tradition because I tell you, it's, it's, it's been a, I've struggled with that myself and so many times and, uh, when I've relapsed before and stuff like that is that I've had a lot of help from the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and my fellow mates in Alcoholics Anonymous and they've, they've continued to support me. Um, so yeah, it, I'm going to read, keep rereading and keep talking about this. And tradition three. AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you are an AA member if you say so. I thought it was a cult. You can, <laughs> that's what I was always thought it was. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. No matter how low you've gone. No matter how grave your emotional complications. Even your crimes. We don't want to keep you out. That's good. Very good. Because I tell you what, we've so many people coming into that program that, you know, I've gone to meetings that are having some serious difficulties. You know, I'll never forget, too, is that, you know, I've gone to meetings out at the, uh, the prison farm that's here in Oregon, Wisconsin. I've gone to meetings in, uh, in, in the clubhouse at, uh, the Serenity Clubhouse in Fitchburg. And you know, I'll tell you what. What used to really get my attention was they'd have those prisoners come out in those white vans. You know, about 10 or 15 of them, they'd come in the room and sit down and start talking. Well, you know what? My ears were tuned up because I had to hear what they were talking about. And they really helped me out a lot. And I'm really glad they went to those meetings. I'm really glad I went to that, that prison meeting, those prison meetings and stuff like that because... I don't want to end up in that situation. And I've used that as a guide, as a guide for me too, to see that, hey, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, goes out, gets drunk and runs it, you know, runs into a car, you know, car, into a family of a four in a car or something like that, you know, and I've had a friend who, uh, I haven't seen him probably 20 years, but it's too bad. But he was, uh, he was in a bad wreck and, uh, 
over a minute over up there by Middleton, Wisconsin, and he got he took out two kids and mom and dad. Mom and dad were all right, but the kids were the kids were killed. And you know that's just it's just it's one of those things that we take we don't realize what we're doing. We everybody thinks that everything's going to be just fine. You know, you pick up, you drink. Oh, I, you know, and you, you compare it to another night when you got home. Well, I'm, I'm better than that night, you know. And reality is, is that, I, you know, it doesn't matter how close your house is. It doesn't matter where you're, where you're, uh, where you're going to or whatever. It doesn't matter what's happened in the day, in the day that you, uh, yeah, that was so wonderful. I used to think that what I'm saying is, I think if I had a good day, I could go out and have a few drinks, and that would protect me from anything happening to me. <laughs> I know that sounds bush league, but it is. It is, because that's what I used to think, so I could just justify my drinking and justify myself drinking and driving. Um, that's That's the insanity of it. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. does not work good at all. And, you know, and, and the thing, too, is that, you know, I love this. There's there's two parts of this, but, the, you know, this is part 1A, obviously, I've been talking about. The last sentence, we just want to be sure that you get the same chance for sobriety that we've had. doesn't say anything about your past in that sentence. Doesn't say anything about. Uh, doesn't say anything about your skin color. It doesn't say anything about any of that stuff. Doesn't say anything about your uh, your ethic. Your ethics doesn't say anything about that at all. You know, all it says is we just want to be sure that you get the same chance for sobriety that we've had. You know, and, and the same chance is, is beautiful because we've all had, we've all had that black sheep in the closet that's rearing its ugly head, you know, and uh, everybody pretty much, you know, people don't know a lot of stuff about us. And, uh, you know, that's the thing is that even as even in sobriety, we have we cover stuff up from our drinking. I know I do. I've had it before. I mean, lately, you know, I've become more as you do a fourth, as you do a four and five, fourth and fifth step. You become more open about sharing with others because you can see the uh, difference it makes to do that, and how much better you feel, and you get that stuff off your chest. You're able to free your. Uh, able to free your walk through sobriety. And, you know, that's the thing about it is that we, uh, that's how we come into contact with, with sobriety. That's how we become into contact with, we have to go to the meetings first. We have to, uh, you know, and people give us that chance. That, uh, you know, nobody's going to kick us out. Nobody's going to throw us out. And, uh, you know, it, it just becomes a, uh, it just becomes a fact of that we can find that, uh, we can find gratitude in those meetings too. You know, and I'm, I'm grateful for the, for, for the folks for that. I went to meetings with that first too. And, you know, and, and, you know, I'm still grateful for the folks today that they put up with my, uh, they put up with me and I'm really grateful because I've been able to grow in a program. And see, uh, and see wonderful things develop for me. Wonderful relationships to develop for me. And uh, so, anyways, here we go. Another one here coming up. This is the uh, part B that I was talking about. We do not wish to deny anyone his chance to recover from alcoholism. We wish to be just as inclusive as we can. Never exclusive. We do not wish to deny anyone his chance to recover from alcoholism. We wish to be just as inclusive as we can, never exclusive. Um, you 
you know, that's the thing is, is that so that's the thing is that for me, it's you know nobody should be excluded from the uh, from the program, which means kicked out, thrown away, you know, challenged that they're not they cannot come to meetings, stuff like that. Inclusive means that we're inviting, we invite people in and uh, we're damn glad they're there. We're damn happy that uh, we can help them and they can help us in sobriety. And you know, I'm going to talk about another thing too that just reminds me of, I suppose it's probably about a few years back, let's just say. I went off to detox, and uh, this is before COVID. I went off to detox, and on my own, I had a meeting out there. And it was wonderful, because I got to sit there with three people that lived underneath the bridge. You know, and, and they had been relapsing, obviously, and they were having a lot of trouble. All three of them were. Obviously, <laughs> you're living underneath the bridge... <laughs> That says that something's not right. But they're great with me because they're able to say, you don't want to live under a bridge. You don't want to have any of this stuff happen to you. You know, and and we know how to work the program. We've worked the program, but it doesn't, you know, and, but we've relapsed and stuff like that. And, you know, I talked to them. I said, well, you know, maybe I said, just just keep going and start going to meetings. They're concentrating on me to have me not, Stop going to meetings. Just the exchange in that room that night, just, well, it's, it was as if my higher power God had just taken me, taken me to that meeting and had me sit down without anybody else that I can lose my attention to. Just sit there with them four, with those three guys and listen to them and listen to the, uh, to the disaster that has been going on in their life, and how, you know, yeah, you they might they want to get sober, but sometimes they just can't get sober. We take that for granted, totally. We think that if we can go, we think we can pick that bottle up and start drinking again, and that's the thing is, is that we do that, and then we lose our chance at sobriety. It just there's no guarantee that we're going to get back. It's just, this disease is so freaking horrible. You know, what it does, it, it gives people, what, what, the, what the disease does is it just, it's a, bad, it's a bad disease. It's a badass disease for good, and good people have it. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's horrible. And we're good people with a badass disease. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Anyways. I knew that didn't come out right, but uh yeah, no, it's it's uh it's just it, it it doesn't it picks on everybody in society. It picks on the poor, it picks on the wealthy, it picks on the uh the good looking men like me, it picks on <laughs> picks on the uh Picks on the people and, and you know, it picks on ladies, it picks on guys, it picks on, you know, it doesn't matter. Greens, yellow, blue, doesn't matter about what color you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care. It just, just centers, it centers the diseases and it centers in your mind. And that's what's, that's what's so bad about it. It works you over. And uh, the sad part is, is that, you know, when we, we look at our failures too, you know, we, we have a tendency to, uh, to live on our failures and to sit there and ourselves and say, you know, well, I've tried it before. I'm not going back in there because it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. And for me as a, uh, 
It's ego. It's, it's the separation. It separates me from everybody else because it doesn't work for me. You know, well, we don't know what it, how it works for anybody because if we're not in the program, if we're not going to meetings, and if we're not getting involved with people in the program and going through the going through the steps with them and and working with them and, and starting to develop that relationship with a higher power, which means everything to me. Our, our, our relationship with our higher power is so important. There's no way I'm going to get sober today if I don't have a relationship with a higher power. If it's just me trying to go in there and get sober, it's not going to work. That's obvious. It's about me... It's about me becoming a person in sobriety, but also working the program with other people in sobriety, which is working the program with this, with the, with the uh, sponsor and finding that sunlight of the spirit, which is through my, which is through God. So that God can shine on my soul and he could put the, uh, he, he can give me, he can give me some, he'll give me that chance to be in a relationship with him and have a wonderful relationship with him and a loving, caring relationship with him. And he, he loves us. That's what we fail to realize is that, you know, we have a tendency to really get in those meetings and really think that he's not going to take care of us. We don't have a chance. And as you keep going along and you keep staying sober every day, all of a sudden you start to realize that there is a higher power. You know, that things start to happen to you that you cannot believe. You know, for me, too, it's just, that's what happened with me. I had, I don't know about other people, but my, my, my relationship with God was not very good. And it was all me that was pulling away. It wasn't, it wasn't God. You know, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm, just, I'm sorry, you know, there's, there's going to be God talking. You, you got to get through it. It's all there is to it because there is God, you know, and it's the, your own understanding, which is what I like. And I don't mean, I'm not lecturing. I'm trying not to, I, it sounds like I'm lecturing, but I'm not. I understand totally about what, what is the differential factor and why people do not go to meetings and I did the God thing. But it's a God of your own understanding. You know, it can be anything. But just, you know, what happens is you're going to experience things that you have, you cannot believe. But, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all about being able to have a relationship with a higher power. You know, there's, there's no, you, anyways, I love, I love God. And I love that. I love the relationship that I have with my higher power. And, and I hope, I hope well, we can all help people find a relationship with a higher power. You know, it's, it's the experience. It's the experience of going through it too. And, uh, you know, and that's why it's so important to be, have people, have phone numbers, have, have sponsors, have you know, everybody that we can get a hold of at certain times because your sponsor might be, not be there, but you can call. It doesn't matter who it is. You can call anybody in the program and talk to them. And we're going to, you know, and, and we're not going to have, we don't have all the answers for you, obviously. We don't have, nobody has all the answers for my situation today either. But my fact is that I need to trust God. And like I said, when I first came in the meeting, I didn't believe in God, to be honest with you. You know, I didn't really understand. I thought, you know, I didn't think I was a host, but I just didn't think I had any right to even think about God. Because I just didn't think, I, I just thought that, well, that's that's the way it is, is that, you know, he's he might help other people, but... I don't really understand what, what that's all about. So anyways, but yeah, that's, that's to me is a, uh, it's a page 186 is the only requirement. It's really good, to, really good. So hopefully I was not too misleading 
with with that stuff, man. Talker action on page one eighty seven. All right. Making amends. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. This might be called leading with a chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? If we do this, we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. But the man who hears our amends is sure to be impressed with our sincere desire to set a right a wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of good will than in talk of a spiritual discoveries. So when we make amends, it is seldom wise to approach an individual who is still smarts from injustice, from our injustice to him. And announce that we have gone religious. So we've done done some we've done somebody wrong in the, <laughs> and you know when I want to look at this, I'm like, I can understand why people would be so hesitant about you know seeing me and you know especially when i if I'd been in a uh, bad wreck or something like that when I was drunk or uh or I said some wrong things and or said to uh you know, or been married and been in a uh, abusive relationship. And what happens is that when we go into the uh program of Alcoholics Anonymous to make uh to make our amends, when we get in there we know that we do know that uh we see the person that's hesitating to come in and sit down in and, and the meeting, that it's up to us to talk to them first. And that's up to us to, uh, it's up to us to let them know that, you know, just for them, just come in and sit down, you know, and relax, take it easy, don't struggle. That's that is one of the things that has helped me a lot in the past, but with talking to newcomers, you know, and it's finding them to find their to find them to relax them, and so they can just take in and not have all those have all those uh, defensive attitudes that come up. That's one of the things that I've seen, you know. A defensive attitude will stop anything from any from anybody from doing anything, and that's the issue. So that's why it's so important just to talk general BS with somebody, just to get them to relax, and then you know, you know, it's so important to relax people, so they will be able to be able to talk normally and and not be so. Not being such a, not feel so strained with their relationship with others. That's what this is all about. You know, and, and the thing is too, is that when they go to their first meeting, might be the guy that's just way in the back and just got one hell of a badass attitude. And he gets hooked up with a sponsor and starts to have just a, Little, little crack of light in his attitude and personality that he can become. He can become sober, and he can real and he can help somebody else. So it's always important, you know, just to have somebody that if they want to come and sit in the back, that's fine. You know, one of the things I've seen fail AA is putting pressure on somebody. You know because. Just because they're there, it doesn't mean that they're having problems in the program with alcoholism, they think. They just come in to check it out. You know, they think, you know, a lot of times what it is, too, it happens to us. 
so mom and dad that comes to take a look at the situation because their child is is having problems with the bottle. Or it might be uh it might be a lady whose uh, husband is having problems with the bottle, but she wants him to stop. So she goes to the meeting so she can talk to her husband about it. I have a lot of stories, and I'll just say one right now, is that I'll never forget sitting in a in a room one day for uh, our meeting. It was, I think it was like a 10, 10 a.m. meeting. And there was a lady that came in and said that her, uh, you know, she wanted to get sober, and she's been having problems with, I think it was with cocaine and stuff like that and drinking and but she was having problems, but, uh, oh, it was her sister. <laughs> she says, oh, my sister really needs this. Uh, she'll never come in here. It's funny, if she got sober, I don't know if she's still sober today, because this is a while back. But then, like, two or three weeks later, here comes her sister comes walking in and says, oh, yeah, I'm so-and-so's sister, and and we're all, we all look at each other going, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. She's here, you know? And it was great because then her sister was there. Her sister was there, too. And I've seen it affects all family members. You know, and it doesn't, it, like I said before, it doesn't have any type of, it does not care who it is, the disease. It does not care who, who it is. And it, uh, you know, it, it's just doing all the care and living the hell through every. To the families and everything. Yes, and then we don't want to be branded fanatics or religious bores. You know, I don't want to be real religious fanatic either. Or a religious bore, you know, I don't want to brand that, but you know what reality is is that I don't come off that way usually because I'm you know, because I'm I'm not going to sit there and pop, pop off at people and tell them, hey, you're going to die, you know, stuff like that. You don't need to do that stuff. I don't like people that put pressure on people either. It's up to them. If they want, if they want, they know how to get it. And they know how to get a hold, to get, to get with the people in the program. So they, they'll be taught how to get it. They'll learn on their own. There are no report cards in AA. There are no final grades in AA. You know, and, and reality is too. You know, we might die drunk, but our reality is is that if we can take just a time, a time space where we control, where we can gather ourselves and get sober for a certain amount of time. That's pretty much what is guaranteed. Doesn't guarantee we're going to die sober. Doesn't guarantee any of that. What it says is that it gives us a chance at sobriety. And uh, this disease is awful. And reality is, it just lays in the weeds waiting for us. Um, but in the last half, just when I say it, part B, but the man who hears our amends is sure to be impressed. With our sincere desires to set right a wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in talk of spiritual discoveries. So, I love this part. I love this. This is good. You know, because... It's nice to be able to impress somebody without putting a big sign on inside our chest that says, we're in Alcoholics Anonymous. What I like to do is I like to take the program and apply it into my life. But I'm not going to walk around saying it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's because of it's because of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous, yes. But it's also because of the people outside of Alcoholics Anonymous I get help from. My friends. 
my family, my, you know, my, my, it's very instrumental. Even, you know, people that walk on the street, just keep your eyes open, keep your head, your head on a swivel. You're going to see stuff that you're going to learn. You know, and you can laugh at life too and have a good time. It doesn't have to be so straining. Straining and it drains you out of your spirituality. And what's great is I don't have to sit there and walk up to people and go, I'm very spiritual. I can just imply it in my life. You know? And I don't get a grade on spirituality either, but I know I can use it. Because there's no way, there's no way in flat out that I would not be able to do this program without spirituality without living in the spirituality, well, having a relationship with a higher power. And, um, you know, it's a we program, no doubt about that. So it's not a me program, it's not an I program, it's a we program. So that's why I like to think about it as. And uh, if nobody else has told you that they love you today, I do. And I say that with the power of love. Um, thanks. Appreciate it. Hope you all learned something.